Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. We're so thrilled to have you here as we continue to celebrate the men and women who are working so hard to make make Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Hey, listen, one of the great things about doing my show is that I come in contact with people I'd never never met before, people who are just quietly kind of doing their work. Uh, some people are leaders in the community. They might be CEOs making their impact or working in the community and in, in various nonprofits, you know, just working in the trenches trying to help make something good happen. Some are characters. Uh, I think about the conversation I had with Bobby Mahoney's from from Mahoney's and so many others. Uh, I posted a, a conversation just the other day at the request of a listener about a conversation with Boyce Holloman's uh, two sons, Dean and Mike Holloman. And uh, you know he was a legend. Uh, Boyce Holloman was a legend. If you missed that show, incidentally, you can go to the Ricky Matthews Facebook page and watch it. But uh, but it's interesting about Boyce, it's, and it and it kind of relates to the show we're going to do today. Is that Boyce Holloman throughout his life? He he loved Wiggins. He just loved that part of the the, the coast. And uh, as it turns out, um, I'm uh, I'm having this sort of uh, you know I get I get these notes from from listeners all the time, but I get a note from a guy by the name of Michael Lewis, and he's telling Michael J. Lewis, Michael <laughs> J. Lewis, and he uh, he is, has an event that's coming up in New Orleans, and he wanted to he wanted to join me on my show and talk about it. And I started doing my research about Michael J. Lewis. He's a Welsh-born eclectic composer of film and theater and television and choral music. He has. Tony's, Emmys, Grammys associated with his name. He's composed music for films that in, that starred uh, uh, names like Vincent Price and Richard Attenborough and Catherine Hepburn and Arson Wells and Charlton Heston and many, many, many others. And as I mentioned, he's got an important celebration that's coming up in New Orleans tomorrow night. It's the uh, fifth anniversary Halloween screening of the cult black comedy Theater of Blood starring Prince, uh, Vincent Prince, uh, Price, I might add. At the uh, Britannia in New Orleans on uh, October the 26th, which is tomorrow night. He's the composer of the music for Theater of Blood, which is regarded as a classic. And he lives in Wiggins, of all places. And we're going we're gonna to tell his story. Again, Welsh-born. He's been, gosh, I don't know many, how many times around the world. And he has a chance kind of adventure into Wiggins, ends up you know, moving there nine years ago. So I don't know what to expect from this conversation other then he's an interesting interesting character and he's done a lot of amazing things and he lives in wiggins and we're going to hear the whole story so welcome to the show michael j lewis yeah i congratulate you on the amount of research you've done in my background most impressed thank you well, listen, I should point out for the Facebook and YouTube audience, you see this. He's in a, his home in Wiggins, and uh, he, lives, he lives in the countryside there in Wiggins, in, the, in, in amidst uh, the timber there. And behind him is a rather famous piano. This has sort of been part of his life 
from the beginning. And, uh, well, hey, for, again, the radio audience as well, we'll have to kind of paint the picture for them, but introduce your piano to, uh, to the audience. Yeah, this here is my um, 1894 German-built Beckstein. And um, I've had it for over 50 years. And um, I actually uh, wrote the score for Theatre of Blood when I was in London on this very piano. And we've traveled the world together. And, yeah. um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real girl. It's a real girl. It sounds like a man. It's a real girl because it needs a lot of attention. <laughs> I get it. And you brought it, you brought it to the United States from London, right? Yes. Via, London, via New York, uh, Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, and now amidst the pines in um, Mississippi. And well, I, listen, do, I love Mississippi. I hey, say. listen, I, I said this to my friends over the weekend. We were we were eating at a soul food restaurant in Chula, Mississippi, which is this restaurant is close to some land there where where we enjoy just being in the outdoors. And I looked over at my friends and I said, you know, I, I, I always think about when I would go to New York, we'd, we would have board meetings at the New World Trade Center at One World Square up on the 35th, 36th, 37th floor. And I would often say, man, it is a long way from Chula, Mississippi to New York City. Um, but at the, at the same time, it's also a very small world, isn't it? Yep. Yep. How and it's a world. It's a world that I think is incumbent upon me, anyway, to, to to see. You know, and I was in LA for twenty years, and I go. I was in London for twenty years, and I go. Enough of this. Let's go see someone else, right? Then I went to New York, and then I went to. I was in LA for twenty years, and then I moved to Austin. Loved Texas. Loved. I learned to dance in Texas, right? Country two-step, That's why I picked up all these colored shirts, right? Because the women dance with colored shirts, right? And then after 10 years in in Austin, um, God led me to Mississippi. Were you, uh, you know, let's 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 take a step back. So we'll 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 uh, tell the story of what led you to Wiggins ultimately, and we'll also also talk about the big event that's happening in New Orleans. But let's take a step back for a second. Um, you were a choir boy when you were six. You were an organist when you were ten. It was pretty evident, very evident, early on when you were doing those Welsh hymns that you were going to be super talented. Um, at what point did it occur to you that you had a gift. Well, I, 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 I can't. <laughs> that is that's too complicated. The question. All I know that that I mean, I was born a male. I was born a musician. Yeah. And I've never wanted to do anything else. I never have done anything else. And I love the life that I have. You you had you found tremendous inspiration for from music, and then you you went and got incredibly educated. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I went to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in the city of London. That's its proper title, where I studied um, harmony, counterpoint, first species, second species, eighth species, um, and composition. And I had this wonderful professor who, who looked as if he was dead. I mean, he didn't have an ounce of flesh on him at all. Right? Yeah. And a wizened little man. And he said to me, you stay with me for four years 
and I will teach you the basics like few people know. And then once you've got the basics, you can go out in the world based on those basics and do whatever you want. Because you, and you'll do it better than anybody else um, because you, you have that great foundation. And I, you know, I blessed the man. I listened to the man. I got the rock solid foundation, you know. I mean, and when you do all these species counterpoint, you go, what's the point of all that, right? You know, it's, I still haven't found out the point of that, but it's great training and it gives you the, the courage and the conviction really to do virtually what you want to do. Right? You know, yeah. what's, what's interesting about your story is that uh, the early inspiration that you got from the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and then you yeah. think about Mississippi being the birthplace of, of American music. You know, the, the father yeah. of country music came from here. The king of rock and roll came from here. Yeah. The king of, yeah. king of the blues came from here. Yeah. And I talk a lot about the Mississippi Delta. I've had many, many guests recently just, just really zeroing in on the role that blues music had played not just in the Delta, but how it sort of perpetuated music all across the United States, especially in places like uh, Great Britain. And this, this uh, you think about the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, and you think about Robert Plant and a long list of others that were inspired. But then you, you know, then you uh, get your get inspiration early in your career from from folks like the Beatles and and the Rolling Stones. All these dots connect. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, <laughs> um, it was uh, uh, for the year after I left the Guildhall School of Music, right, um, I went and taught in a state school because my father wanted me to do that because you then were an accredited teacher. And then he said, now you have this career, safe career for the rest of your life. Right? And, and, and when I did this probationary year, it was in a place called Tottenham. You may have heard of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, right? You know, and this is a real blackboard jungle of a place, right? And you know, my roots lie in Bach and Tudor church music and all this, right? And these kids in Tottenham had, I mean, didn't care a hoot about you know what I knew, right? And all they wanted to do was talk about George and Paul, oh Paul, oh, Ringo, and I mean, you know, and I go, who are they? You know, right? Um, and, and they sort of taught me, um, that, that was my first introduction to, to popular music, right, um, and the blues. And then I came from a little town in Wales called Aberystwyth, right, and one Saturday night we'd been out drinking, and we heard that there was this really weird band in this little dance hall down the road. We went in there, and there was this group of four guys with the most wicked, evil-looking men I'd ever seen in my life playing the most horrendous music, right? And it turned out to be the Rolling Stones. That's an amazing story. Hey, listen, when we come yeah. back on the other side, we're going to continue our conversation with Welsh right. eclectic composer Michael J. Lewis. We'll see you after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. So you never know uh, on the Ricky Matthews Show, by the way, coming to you from the Citizens Bank studio. You never know what characters we're going to come across on this show. And uh, I was thrilled to, to to be introduced to composer Michael J. Lewis, who we're talking about now. He is a Welsh-born composer, and uh, you're going to be amazed at some of the stuff that he's been involved, been involved with in his career. Had a long career that ultimately brings him to to Wiggins of all places. But when we went to break, we were talking about um, when he made his way to London and he was teaching. And uh, during that time, obviously the Beatles and Rolling Stones were coming along. And when we actually went to break, he was talking about going into uh, this small, I guess it was a nightclub or, or pub or whatever, and and playing in there were the Rolling Stones. And um, you, it's like you touch these points of history along the way. Looking back on it, does it does it blow your mind that you did so much and touched so many points of history along the way? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been an extraordinary journey. But particularly, you know, I started another point about th- th- this teaching business, right, which I did for my father's sake, right, one year to become an accredited teacher. Right? <clears throat> it was pivotal in so many years because really what I wanted to do in my life was to be a cathedral organist and to write church anthems for the rest of my life. That's all I wanted to do. Right? But these kids in North London were so effective at teaching me about the Beatles and the Stones and all this, right? you know, that, um, I mean, once I, I the, 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 they were the turning point. And then there was no going back to the way I had been, right? I saw a way forward, right? Never dreaming that one day I would end up in the birthplace of America's music. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. So listen, uh, so at the at the ripe young age of 24, we joked yeah. during the break, but you literally decided to retire and yeah. pursue a life uh, involving composition work. Yeah. And um, you know, and you never looked back, did you? No, never, never, ever. So, okay, so was Please, Sir, your first sort of big composition? <laughs> You're so good, man. You're so good. You've done your homework. Yes, it was, um, it was uh, the, the first major composition I did was this um, musical, stage musical, right? And it was based on the life of Dr. Thomas Bernardo, who ran an orphanage in East London. It was a type of sort of Oliver type of thing, right? But this was actually based on fact. And um, what few people know is that I was, as I was working on Pleaser, Lloyd Webber and, 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 and Rice were also working on the same subject, right? And they sent a message to me um, asking if I would like to... <laughs> If I would like to join forces with them and combine our material um, on this same subject, right? So I didn't. That didn't really appeal to me. <laughs> when you look back and you go, "My God!" Right? You know. Um, and for a number of legal reasons, that show never happened for me. 
and it never happened for them. Isn't that interesting? Right? Yes. Um, but through writing that show, and this is how, how the world goes, right? Through writing that show, I met a film director called Brian Forbes, who was very, very big in England in the in the sixties. Yeah, he was a he was a writer and director. Absolutely, right. Yeah. And um, and he met me, and we were two totally different types of people. Um, and he couldn't believe how what he called this beer-swigging Welshman could write the tunes that I was writing. Right? And so Brian said to me, if, I, if ever I can help you, um, I will help you. Right? And so two years later, um, one Friday morning, which was in fact March the 14th, 1968, um, uh, when I got to bed very, very late the night before, and um, in, in this apartment building, there was one phone, one payphone, and someone came knocking on my door, and they said, Michael, Michael, there was a, a phone call for you. And I go, no, 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 I don't, don't bother me this time in the morning. Right? They said, no, 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 no. It's from the studios La Victorine in the south of France. What is this joke, I said. Right? And they said, no, no, no. It's from Brian Forbes, the director. He wants you to go to the south of France tomorrow and meet Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> You know, it was like some the middle of the night, some dream, you know. Right? But in fact, it was so I staggered to the phone, and there was Brian's um, uh, the secretary, lovely, lovely girl. And she said, Brian wants you to come down to meet Catherine Hepburn tomorrow. Oh, where? South of France. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I said, no, I, don't, I can't afford the money to go into the center of London. Right? No, no, no. We'll send a limo for you. Have a first-class <laughs> seat. Fly you down to Nice. Right? <laughs> And in you know, middle of March, I mean, it was just like crazy, crazy time. So I said, well, you do that and I'll be there, right? And that night, a whole bunch of us Welsh guys, we went out drinking. Um, and we stayed up all night waiting for this limo to come. We knew it would never come, you know? And lo and behold, at like 8 o'clock in the morning, this limo turns up and off I go to London Airport. And... Um, I get on this British Airways flight, sitting next to Richard Chamberlain, who was to reappear in my life a bit later on. And, um, and there I was in the south of France, in the glorious sunshine in the middle of March. And, um, and, 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 and uh, subsequently, I was to meet Catherine Hepburn, um, Danny Kaye, Ewell Brunner, Paul Henry, you you name it. I mean, this is history, right? You know, and and Alan J. Lerner, the great American writer who wrote um, Camelot and who wrote My Fair Lady, was a big friend of Catherine Hepburn's, right? Um, and so we were all out to dinner, all out to dinner, right? And we were chatting away. And, and he told me how when he first started in writing, he had a job at a radio writing at a radio station from nine to five. And the great thing about that job, he told me, was that he had to write anything he was asked to write. And it will instantly go on air. And I thought, what a fantastic way to live, right? Sit down, write it, get it right, on air, 
all within the app. Oh my God, I love the notion, right? Um, so anyway, kind of story short, I, I got the job. I got the Mad Woman of Chaillot, which eventually got me the Ivan Novello Award in London, which is the Oscar in London, right, for my first movie. And But this nagging thing about diversity, um, this nagging thing about versatility as a writer kept nagging at me. And then I met um, through Theatre of Blood, which is showing, by the way, at the Britannia, um, two nights time, October the 20th, Thursday, October the 26th. It's a fabulous movie. You must come to see it. And there was a wonderful director called Douglas Hickox. And he got on fabulous. And he said, Michael, why have you and I never met doing commercials? I said, because I've never done a commercial. Oh, man, he said, you would be fabulous doing commercials, right? So I started doing commercials along with television and along with film, right? And commercials is a very little-known part of my life, right? Because commercials tend to come and go, you know, right? Movies, good movies stay behind, but commercials, no matter how good they are, people forget them, they're gone, they're disposable, right? But I got into commercials and I got in touch with this real versatile talent that I have, right? And they would ring up sometimes in the morning. And Michael said, you know, we've got to be on air tomorrow. Can you do this track? Right? And, and head big and orchestral and bunch. By tomorrow morning? Yes, by tomorrow morning. Okay, by tomorrow morning. Right? And then, and then you would just sit down, you'd write it, right? you'd send it off to the copiers, you'd call the orchestral contractor, say we need 36 guys tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, um, okay, we'll be there, boom, 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 then, then finish, go drinking, next morning, get up, boom, boom, start the thing on another one again. It was fabulous. Wow. It was fabulous. So from the from the moment you met Brian Forms, you got the attention of Brian Forms and and actor Richard Attenborough. But once you got that attention, it opened up doors in all kinds of fascinating ways, didn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I <laughs> all sorts of ways. I um, I finished recording um, the Mad Woman um, just before Christmas of 1968, and I went to Wales for Christmas. And I came back to my London apartment, tiny little London apartment. Hey, let's pick it up. Michael, let's, let's pick it up right there. You came back to your London apartment. We'll pick it up right there we'll okay. on the other side. But we're having a conversation with Welsh-born composer. He did films and theater and television and choral music. Tony's, Emmys, and Grammys have been associated with his name. Big event tomorrow night. We'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But he lives in Wiggins. How did this guy that went to do all these things? all around the world end up in Wiggins. We'll tell that story, too. We'll see you after this break. Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank uh, studio. We're talking to a fascinating guy. His name is, uh, he's a composer, Michael J. Lewis, who lives in Wiggins. But as you continue to hear this conversation, by the way, a little bit of Wi-Fi blip from time to time. Apologize for that, but he's at his house up in Wiggins. And uh, every now and then we get a little blip, but we, we're getting the, the, the basis of the conversation. But we're just talking about all these fascinating doors that have been opened up for him along the way. And it led to all these eclectic opportunities to compose music uh, across a wide variety of stuff from you know, obviously film and and uh, and choral and we was talking about commercials when we went to break. But wait, you want to pick it up where, where we left off, Michael? Yeah, I was talking about commercials, right? And, and the joy of um, working in so many different styles, right? Everything but the blues, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that, that was to come. The blues was to come later, right? You know, um, and then by doing commercials, it also, in a way, led me to the, to America, right? Um, because one of the directors I did a lot of work for in London, he started working in um, New York, and he couldn't find a connection with a composer in New York, and this big job came up for IBM. You know, and com national commercials for national campaigns, for campaigns for IBM, you know, don't come up very often, right? And he couldn't find anybody to do the job which he wanted. So they rang me up on a Thursday night from New York and they said, will you come to New York on Saturday and do this IBM commercial that is airing next Wednesday, right? So do you think you can get it together in New York and all the time? Sure, sure, sure. So we got on a plane and ended up in New York and uh, was taken to the uh, Russian tea room. I can remember that, right? And given a lavish dinner. Oh, I like this lifestyle, you know. And on the Monday morning, they gave me the film. Um, and oddly enough, it was a film about IBM printers. And they were using the image of Johann Sebastian Bach who for me is the greatest composer who ever lived, right? As part of this campaign, and they wanted this, um, they wanted Bach in 30 seconds, right? So I said, oh, sure, right? And so I wrote it next morning, on the, on the Tuesday morning, um, all the suits from IBM came to approve me playing the, the piano track, right? And I mean, they were appalled, you know, there was I in my shirt. Right, right. <laughs> and it was in June and the perspiration, my shirt was wet. And these, <laughs> these suits came in and sort of looked at me and go, who is this man? Right? Well, see, Michael, that was back in the 1980s when IBM had this really buttoned up, you know, reputation, you know. They expected all their employees to dress a certain way, and they were buttoned up. That actually ended up leading to uh, commercials for Lipton, I think 3M, Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and then eventually, eventually, you uh, ended up getting nominated for a Cable Ace Award for work that you did with Christopher Reeves. Tell about that. that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was television. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Television, for me anyway, is a whole different ball game to film, right? Um, and I, I can barely remember doing that show, right? Despite the fact it got a lot of attention, right? Because it was 
television. And it was it was when I was in L.A., you really had to do a few television shows, right, to show your chops, right, to get into movies, right. So <laughs> my my really my, my memories of that show are not very great because I was not very interested, you know. <laughs> Well, so um, I mean, you did so much as 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 time went on, but leave me to let's let's talk about the the event tomorrow and this fiftieth anniversary and and how that sort of defined you in so many different ways. Well, this this is where we come back to I'm talking about theater of blood, right? Which in fact is two nights time, Thursday night, the twenty sixth at the Britannia, and. Um, Theater Blood is one of those movies, thank God, thank God, right, that seems to grow over the decades. You know, some movies come and go, right? but, and, but some stay and they linger and they grow and, they, um, and, and they're, they're rolling stones, you know, right? And, and suddenly we turn around and it's, 50 years, oh my God, I mean, where can 50 years go, right? Um, and a friend of mine said, why don't I ring the Britannia and tell them that you're here and that this great cult horror movie at Halloween, <laughs> and we'd all clickety-click, 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 click-click, right? And Britannia said, sure. And they said, you know, do you think he would be involved, me, right? And I go, well, I'll do more than that. I'll come and I'll play um, the two main themes from Theatre Blood on the piano um, at the Britannia before they screen the movie. And so um, it snowballed from there. So hoping we'll have a great night. Well, I mean, because everybody, you know, and by the way, an interesting fact you might like to know is that 30 years tomorrow, Right, which would be the day before the screening, right, was when Vincent died. Wow. Isn't that something, right? Vincent Price. Yeah. Vincent Price. What yeah. a legacy he left. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what was his favorite movie? Right? Not only as a film, but for his work on it and his enjoyment in doing it. And his favorite movie was Theater of Blood. Then he'd always wanted to do Shakespeare, but no one would ever let him do Shakespeare, right? And suddenly this black comedy comes along <clears throat> um, where he's going to kill off these critics because they didn't give him the award that he wanted, right? And he decides he's going to kill him off in the manner of a Shakespeare tragedy, right? And so there suddenly he finds himself playing all these different parts, um, pretty bizarrely, uh, um, of Shakespeare, and he loved it. And fifty years later, it's still got a big audience, right? Fifty Time years later, to... uh, of course. Think about it now. This was a British cult horror film. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, fifty years later, you're living in Wiggins. Yeah. And they're they're celebrating the movie on the fiftieth anniversary in New Orleans, yeah. and yeah. you. Have be you know stones throw away. What are the chances of that? I mean, again, coming back to it's a small world, isn't it? 
But what about the chances of me ever finding Wiggins? <laughs> right, right. You know, hey, you know, let's let's tell let's tell people about that. Just this because it it really is chance how you found chance. a place that reminded you of uh, your Welsh-born roots. So, t- so talk about that. I mean, you know, life is a game of chance, right? You know, who knows what's going to happen next, right? Um, and in at the end of January 2015, um, I had been in Florida, and I was coming back from Florida, and I saw this sign saying Mobile, right? And with the curiosity I have, I thought, I'll get off the 10, go into Mobile, have a little drive around Mobile to say I've been to Mobile, right? And then continue on back to Austin, right? Well, for some reason or other, God decided I was not going to go back on the 10. I was going to go north to some little place called Loosedale, right? And it was getting around about 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the afternoon. Dusk was coming. And I looked around Loosedale. I thought, I don't particularly want to stay the night in this place. Right? It just doesn't look a very exciting place to stay the night, right? And so I had a dear friend with me, and she said, uh, um, well, let's go on to this next place, right? Done this, something called the 26th, and this place called Wiggins, and see if it's any more livelier. <laughs> so we drove along westward along the 26th, um, and this gorgeous red sun was setting right at the end of the road, you know, right? And driving through all the bayou, and oh, oh my God! I mean, it was just—it was pure magic. I felt I was being summoned somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Which I hadn't—I had never decided. It was not my choice to be on the 26, right? So yeah. you're headed—you're headed on—you're headed west on 26, out in the yeah. middle of nowhere, into the setting red, setting sun. Didn't know where the hell I was going, right? You know. And eventually I came to this place called Wiggins, right? which seemed to be even less attractive than Newstale. Right? Um, but by this time, I mean, the sun had gone. There was no point in going on. Right? Um, and I came to a hotel um, just there on the 26th next to this Mexican restaurant. Right? And stayed the night there, went to the Mexican restaurant, went to the high spot of Wiggins, which of course is Walmart. I had a walk around Walmart. And then um, uh, went back to the hotel. Then the next morning, I woke up, looked out of the window. Oh, my God, I saw where I was, right? And I was in the middle of pine country. And there was all this mist floating through the pines. And I go, my God, I'm home. I mean, Wales, right? It reminded you of Wales. Hey, listen, we're going to continue our conversation, the last final segment from the Citizen Bank Studio. Oh, my God, is it that quick? With Welsh-born composer Michael J. Lewis on the other side. We'll see you after this. Mississippi Media Production.